When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Kirk Street is podcast. on the phone. This is the Weekend Sports Podcast. It we. is Monday, September 19th, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for what should be a loaded jam pack. That is right, another loaded, loaded, loaded Monday episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, busy day in college football. Here is what we are going to talk about. We're actually going to open late night, Pac-12, at least for now, after dark. USC looked awesome. USC won big again. And I'll tell you, I actually think this team might make the playoff this year. Did not think that I am going to explain why I believe that very well could happen. From there, we will switch to the big one down on the plains. Penn State takes care of Auburn. I think this game not only said something about Penn State, but maybe the strength of the top of the Big Ten as as a whole. I will explain that as well. Uh, Georgia, is it possible? How about my dogs? How about my dogs? Is it possible they're better than last year? I don't know that I'm there yet, but they are certainly making a compelling argument. And again, I think there is a bigger, broader conversation to have about them. Finally, we'll wrap with some other odds and ends. LSU looks good. My Oklahoma Sooners picked him to make the national championship game look great. Uh, I thought it was a good day for the Pac-12. I'll explain why. Our you know, our buddies at Kansas, how about the Kansas Jayhawks improving to 3-0? So loaded show today. So much to discuss. Let's get into it. Before we do, by the way, I should mention a couple things. First of all, as always, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, all of Aaron Torres Media. It is presented by the Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. I have told you their story. It is incredible. Started in 1967, over a 1,000 shops in the U.K. They have come to the U.S. making a huge splash. I've told you already. I'm going to tell you again. Official betting partner of the Denver Broncos, of the Cincinnati Bengals, of the Colorado Rockies. They take care of their customers better than anybody just this Sunday. Big huge tailgate party at the Denver Broncos games, just giving away tickets. They did the same thing last week at the Cincinnati Bengals games. Uh, Watch party for the Arizona Cardinals in Scottsdale. So make sure you take advantage. Get in on Betfred now. And I'll tell you this, it's Monday. And how about this? We have two Monday night football games today. And Betfred Sportsbook has an incredible offer for first-time users. Bet $50 on either game. 
either side in either game. Get 250 in free bets courtesy of the Betfred Sportsbook. Incredible offer. Make sure to take advantage. Uh, great offer. Great deal. We love working with Betfred. Two Monday night games. There's no better time to get involved with Betfred right now. Thank you to Betfred. They are our presenting sponsor. Excited to be working with them. Really quickly, uh, also, quick update, Bracket Fanatics. Week two is mostly in the books. If you have not signed up yet for our weekly NFL Pick'em, it is not too late, okay? It is not too late to sign up for the Bracket Fanatics NFL Pick'em Challenge. Uh, Reno Gambler, shout out to Reno Gambler. As I told you on Friday's show, he won week one. Uh, but week two, we got one game left, and then we turn our attention to week three. So if you have not signed up, Bracket Fanatics, join Bracket. The Bracket is, of course, Torres. It is pinned at the top of my Twitter bio. You can find the link in the show description. Uh, go ahead, BracketFanatics.com. Again, another great partner of ours. We are thrilled to be working with them. With that said, though, it is Monday. We have a jam-packed show, and let's get to... The topic of the day. And I'll tell you this. Today is one of these Mondays. I don't know that there is a super obvious number one lead topic that we got to dive into for 20, 25 minutes like there has been the last couple weekends. Obviously, last Saturday, we had Alabama, Texas. We had Texas A&M. This weekend, ah, you could go in a lot of different directions. Penn State getting the win at Auburn. Is that the biggest story? We're going to talk about that in a minute. Georgia dominating. Is that the biggest story? Texas A&M surviving by the skin of their teeth. Is that the biggest story? Instead, I want to start somewhere different because I saw something interesting on Saturday, and I don't think any other mainstream uh, sports show and really college football show is going to start with this topic, but I think it's a very interesting one. And it starts with, as I said, late night, Pac-12-ish after dark. Can we call USC and UCLA Pac-12 after dark? I do not know. But where I want to start is with USC against Fresno State. It was not a marquee game, but I do think there was a marquee story that came out of it. For people who stayed up late, credit to USC. It was never really close. The final score was 45-17. to 17. Now, Fresno's starting quarterback got hurt late, but this one was never really in doubt. USC was up 14-0. They were up 21-3. They were up 42-17. It was never really competitive uh, at any real point. It is USC's third straight double-digit win to open the season. And what I would say is, and what the topic of the day, in my opinion, is, is this. Is USC already, in year two, a playoff contender and maybe a favorite to make the playoff? I wouldn't have said it a month ago. I wouldn't have said it a week ago. But after watching USC, I'm telling you, I think this is a team that is good enough to make the playoff this year and I almost feel like it's, it's, it's more of a sure thing than a lot of other teams. Now, before we get into it, a couple of things. One, I do want to re reiterate a, 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 not a topic, but a thought and a theme that I say often. Just because I say USC is a playoff contender doesn't mean they're a national championship contender. Big difference, right? There's a difference between what it takes to get to the playoff and win games once you get there. We saw it with Cincinnati last year. Ironically, we've seen it in the past with Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma teams. So I'm not saying they're going to win the national championship. I'm not saying if you put them on a neutral field with Georgia, they're winning convincingly and Kirby Smart's overrated and Lincoln Riley fight on. Like, that's not what I'm saying at all. And what I would also say is this. I do think that when I look at this story, maybe the conversation, the more that I think about USC, 
the more that I do think, like, maybe we shouldn't even be talking about the playoff this early altogether. Because what I would say is before we even get into why I think they can make the playoff, I need to give them credit for something completely unrelated to the playoff that has nothing to do with the fact of whether they'll make it or not. It is the fact that I think, despite all of the crazy expectations coming into the year, I do think USC is very much ahead of schedule in the Lincoln-Riley era in year one at USC. And let me explain. Listen, when Lincoln-Riley was hired, we all loved it. I remember recording this podcast in this same seat uh, 9, 10, 11 months ago, whatever it was, early December when Lincoln got, Riley got hired. I said, this is one of the great hires I have ever seen in my life. And even in the lead up to the season, I absolutely thought that USC was going to be good, really good, and maybe in a perfect world, they were going to be able to compete for a Pac-12 title. At the same time, though, listen, college football is hard, man. Like, listen, I, I know we get spoiled by certain guys and certain coaches and certain teams and certain programs. College football is really hard. And so when we look at USC, um, I think they're so far ahead. Of, just think about all of these coaches through all of these years and the fact that it is not easy to take over a program and in year one have immediate success. Nick Saban, remember, he lost to Louisiana Monroe in year one at Alabama. Kirby Smart went eight and five in year one at Georgia with a loss to Vanderbilt. And I know the SEC is different than the Pac-12, but what did I just tell you? Kirby Smart lost to Vandy. Nick Saban lost to UL Monroe. Uh, you know, you go back to last year, Steve Sarkeesian uh, ended up with, with a five and seven season loss to Kansas that all of a sudden maybe isn't quite as bad as we thought. But I bring it up to say that taking over a college football program is hard. And so far, Lincoln Riley has made it look easy. That is the most impressive part to me and why, yes, we're going to talk about the playoff in a second. But to me, just what they have done so far is the most impressive part at all. They have come in, they have completely flipped the roster, and they are operating at an insanely high level. I mean, just think about what Lincoln Riley did in the offseason, and this is part of why I had hesitation on USC in the first place. Remember, this was not a, an okay program that Lincoln Riley took over and they just wanted to be great. This wasn't an 8-4, and 7-5 and five type program that had a bad year or two. This was a team that went 4-8 and eight last year. They went... Four and eight, and some of those losses were really bad. 29-point loss to UCLA, a 14-point loss to Stanford that wasn't that close. They actually put up a bunch of points late to make it only 14 points, an 18-point loss to Oregon State. This team was really bad, and Lincoln Riley had major work to do when he got there. Overall, remember, this program took in 26 transfers this offseason from all across the country, low major, high major, group of five, power five, Oklahoma, uh, Colorado, wherever. Also, eight, eight high school recruits. So you do some simple math. They turned over like 40% of their roster, 32 players that are new to the program. And so when I look at them, that's what's most impressive to me. 32 new players from 32 different places and 85 players that are adjusting to a new coach, a new you know, scheme, new, whatever, everything that comes with just even having a new coach. And then on top of that, you have a scenario where there are 32 players that have come from completely different places, not only dealing with a new coach, but a new way to practice, a new way to lift, a new way to eat after practice, a new way to recover, a new way to get right. Like, like all of the things that go into this, it is not supposed to be this smooth. Yet here we are. And as I said, USC with three wins all by double digits 
Um, none of them have been particularly competitive. And more than anything, I just got to say, this team and this program feels like it's ahead of schedule. I was watching them on Saturday night, and it literally looks like Lincoln Riley just picked up his Oklahoma program, took it, plopped it down in Los Angeles, new jerseys, a new visor, and they are the exact same team as last year. And that is the most impressive thing to me. But that's also not why you came here, and that's not why uh, I led the show with them, because they look impressive or they're ahead of schedule. I'm leading the show with them because I believe this can be a playoff team this year. Now, what is the big knock on USC? What is the reason that when I say that, all of you are going to say, playoff, playoff, you're going to do the Jim Mora, not Jim Mora Jr., who coaches at UConn now, Jim Mora Sr. Playoff, playoff, you're a playoff, we're just trying to win a game, playoff. Here's why. Okay, so first of all, the, the knock on USC right now, the defense isn't very good. And listen, I'm not going to fight you on the fact that the defense isn't very good. They're ranked 83rd in the country right now. They are behind an Oregon team that gave up a million yards and a million points to Georgia in week one. They are behind, um, you know, a, a, a Louisville team that has given up a, a, a ton of yards early in the season. Um, they are behind all sorts of teams that, you know, are, are not, you know, all these teams that are struggling, USC's defense is in some ways statistically worse than them. But what I would also say is for everybody that criticizes, there's no way USC can win at the highest level playing defense the way that they are. Well, there's a couple things here that we have to consider. One, what is the old saying? There are lies, damn lies, and statistics. Well, just saying that USC has the 83rd ranked defense is a little bit misleading, and let me explain why. Because that is just one, giving up yards is just one element of defense. And here is the crazy part about this situation at USC. Do you know who is number one in the country right now in turnover margin? Uh, it's USC. They've forced 10 turnovers so far this season. By the way, you know who has a top 10 red zone defense right now? It's USC right now this second as a top 10 red zone defense. I actually saw a funny quote from one of their players. I believe it was Shane Lee, their starting linebacker. And he basically said... Uh, he said, uh, just because we give up a lot of yards doesn't mean we give up a lot of points. And while I don't know that that's something you want to print on T-shirts and like, like brag to the world about, he's not wrong. And I do think that's part of it. Like you can just sit there and say they give up a lot of yards. Yeah, they give up a lot of yards, but they aren't giving up a lot of points. And I think that's important. Ten total turnovers, three defensive touchdowns. That matters. You know what else matters? This offense is so good. I don't know how many games this year the defense is going to be impacted on. Think about it. This offense is humming again, even at a level that I did not think it was going to look so good at in year one. Now, I know Caleb Williams is a star. I know Jordan Addison is a star. But again, to ask all of these guys to come to USC in year one and just immediately flip a switch and just get it rolling, that's hard to ask, yet that's exactly what they're doing. Number 11 right now in total offense, USC is. They are putting up more yardage than some really good teams early on, including Oklahoma, including an Arkansas team that runs the ball right at you, including a Michigan team, by the way, that has played Hawaii, Colorado State, and UConn. Ole Miss, who we love, is behind USC. So they are moving the ball at will. And what really impresses me about this team, it's not just that they're moving the ball. It's the fact how they're doing it. Every game's a little bit different. Caleb Williams, 341 yards passing against Stanford two weeks ago. 
Saturday night, it was the run game. Two different running backs with over 100 yards, Travis Dye and Austin Jones. And so you look at this team, they have multiple ways to beat you on offense. It isn't just the quarterback. It isn't just the run game. It isn't just one player. It isn't just this. It isn't just that. They can beat you in a lot of different ways. The other thing that I was thinking about, and I actually heard Joel Klatt from Fox say this. I thought he brought up a great point. It's not as though Lincoln Riley has never been in this situation before with an elite offense, a really bad defense, and still found a way to make the playoff. Remember the 2018 season? I give Joel Klatt credit for this. I want to make sure I credit him because he was the one that brought it up. Do you remember the 2018 season? That was the Kyler Murray Heisman Trophy season. Kyler Murray won the Heisman Trophy because he had to put up 50 points every game because you uh, Oklahoma's defense was terrible, okay? I looked it up today. Here were Oklahoma's final four regular season games. A 51-46 to victory over Texas Tech. A 48-47 victory over Oklahoma State. A 55-40 victory over Kansas, and that was not when Kansas was good, people. And oh, by the way, a 59-56 Black Friday win against West Virginia. Look at those again. The last four games, they gave up 47 points, 40 points, 56 points, 46 points, and they still managed to win the Big 12 and make the playoff. And so why can't USC? The Big 12 back then, I would argue, was probably tougher than the Pac-12 is now. Why can't USC do it? Look at USC's schedule and tell me there are guaranteed losses on the schedule. They don't exist. Obviously, the toughest game on the schedule remaining, Utah, that's a couple weeks. We're going to learn a lot about USC, right? Because Utah does this, the one thing that USC has no answer for, I don't believe, in this era of USC football. Utah is tough. Utah is physical. Utah is mean. And they are going to run the ball right at you. And I don't know that USC can stop that. But if USC wins that game, and oh, by the way, even if they lose it, if USC wins that game, look at the rest of the schedule. The Pac-12, by the way, has two other teams ranked in the top 25 outside of Utah, outside of USC. USC does not play Oregon. USC does not play Washington. And while I do think there are some traps along the way, starting this weekend against Oregon State on the road, you look at that schedule, you find me two guaranteed losses. Even if you play Utah, you can still lose that game and make the Pac-12 championship game. Remember, this year, Pac-12 championship game, it is the two best teams in the league, two best win-loss records in the league. It is not East or North and South, excuse me. And so USC, in theory, could lose to Utah, still get to the Pac-12 game, and, ha- and, and beat them there and make the college football playoff. And again, you look at the rest of the schedule. Yes, Oregon State is tough, and I think they're going to be a challenge this weekend. Washington State just won at Wisconsin. Arizona is improved. But also, Arizona just almost lost to an FCS team on Saturday night. Uh, Cal is not good. They lost to Notre Dame, who loses to everybody. Notre Dame is not itself. USC plays them late. Colorado might be the worst Power 5 team in college football. So I don't want to beat a, bed, uh, uh, a dead horse. I don't want to uh, you know, uh, beat this into the ground. But I look at USC. I'm telling you, they're ahead of schedule. They look better than I thought they would. And I really do think, you're going to think I'm crazy. I really do think this is a team that can make the college football playoff in 2022. I cannot believe I'm saying it. I believe they can make the playoff. Now, once they get there, they might lose by 40 to Georgia. Make no mistake. Georgia might never throw a pass that entire game, just run the ball right at it. But can they make the playoff this year? I believe USC can. Whew. 
Great start to the Aratora Sports Podcast, I would say. Fun topic on USC. What I want to do now is go across the country. I want to talk about that Penn State-Auburn game. I want to talk about Penn State going to Auburn, kicking the crap out of them, physically dominating them on a weekend, by the way, that Michigan scored 50 points for a third straight week. On a weekend that Ohio State put up 77 points against Toledo. And I'm going to ask you a simple question. Is it possible? Georgia's the number one team in the country. But is it possible the top end of the Big Ten is better than the SEC? I think it might be. We'll have that conversation. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, do you want to switch gears? By the way, some late-breaking news after I recorded the opening segment. Our old friend, our buddy, America's coach, Herm Edwards is out at Arizona State. I'll tell you what, we will wrap the show on that one. You know I got some thoughts on that. Herm Edwards out at Arizona State. Not surprising. Maybe the only surprising thing is that it took so long to happen. Uh, We will discuss Herm Edwards to wrap the show. But where I want to go now is to what was, you know, I I don't know if it was the biggest game of the weekend. Texas A&M Miami might have been the biggest game. Oklahoma, Nebraska, I guess in theory could have been the biggest game. When neither Penn State nor Auburn were ranked coming into the weekend, I don't know that you can call it the biggest game, but I certainly think you could say it was the most interesting game, and I think the result had some big-picture ramifications. Well, the game goes down on Saturday. I think we're all kind of expecting a close, kind of interesting game. As I said on Friday's show, what do we really know about either team? Instead, as a slight three-point road underdog, Penn State just laid the butt whooping. On Auburn, the final score, 41-12. to And really, the entire second half, it was essentially just a coronation for Penn State as they literally did whatever they wanted. And as I said, I, I do think there are some real big-picture ramifications to this game in terms of what it means for Penn State, certainly what it means for Auburn. And I actually think what it means for the Big Ten in general where I think the the top of that league is looking awfully good right now, we're going to discuss it. But let's start with the game specifically on the plane, Saturday afternoon, Auburn hosting Penn State. Remember, these two teams played last year. It was a very, very close game. Um, This one, not nearly as much. And it wasn't just that Penn State beat Auburn. It is that they absolutely kicked the crap out of Auburn, okay? And so here's the thing, right? If I say anything nice about Penn State, everybody in the SEC is going to say, Auburn stinks, 
Auburn's terrible. They're the worst team in the West. They might be the worst, you know, two, three worst teams in the league. You can, This win means nothing. No one else in the SEC would celebrate a win over Auburn. I get that. I get that this isn't Georgia. This ain't, you know, 2012 Alabama here. But at the same time, I do think it holds this game held significance for one specific reason. It's not just because Penn State won, and it's not even because of what the final score was, but it was because of how the game was played and how Penn State won it. Keep in mind, even Auburn, even at their absolute worst over the last year and a half under Brian Harson, and there have been a lot of lows, make no mistake, even at their absolute worst, the one thing you could always count on for Brian Harson for his team, was physicality and toughness at the line of scrimmage. Last year, when it was all falling apart, when they lost whatever it was, five straight games to end the season, four straight regular season plus the bowl game, I believe is that that, that number is correct. Even when it was all falling apart, they were really good along the line of scrimmage, specifically the defensive front. Last year, Auburn finished with a top 30 run defense. This year coming in, they had a top 15 run defense. And I know they only played Mercer. They only played San Jose State. But this has been a trend under Brian Harson. You can criticize him for a lot of different stuff. They are usually really good along the line of scrimmage right up until they played James Franklin's Nittany Lions on Saturday afternoon, okay? Penn State, as I said, was dominant at the line of scrimmage. They finished the game. 245 yards of total offense, or 245, take that back, 245 yards of rushing offense, 245 yards of rushing offense, 6.3 yards per carry allowed by an Auburn team coming in that was a top 15 run defense. And then, oh, by the way, on the other side of the ball, Penn State held Auburn to just 119 yards rushing on 36 carries for right around three yards per carry. And so, again, I don't care where Auburn ranks in the SEC, and I know it's towards the bottom. I'm not claiming they're Georgia. I'm not even claiming they're they're Arkansas or Kentucky. But at the same time, that was a physically impressive performance by Penn State. It was physically impressive along the line of scrimmage. I should add physically impressive for a couple young running backs, Nicholas Singleton If you did not know that name coming in, you know it now. Five Star was the number one ranked high school player in America, our number one ranked running back in America last year. 124 yards rushing, 12 yards per carry. Uh, He broke a nasty run in which he basically outran the entire Auburn defense. That basically put the the seal on the game. A 54-yard run early in the fourth quarter made it 38-12. That's when you knew Auburn was not coming back. Uh, Credit, by the way, also Katron Allen, another true freshman, looked really good. 52 yards, 5.8 yards per carry, two rushing touchdowns. Penn State was dominant. Penn State physically kicked the crap out of Auburn. And it's especially impressive for a Penn State team that this is not who they have been through the years, okay? And so when I look at this game, I think there's really three things that stand out that I want to talk about in the bigger picture for Penn State and the Big Ten in general. First of all, why this win was so important is it's because it has run counter to everything that James Franklin is and has been about since he got to Penn State. Um, You know, listen, I I don't dislike James Franklin as much as most people. We're going to get to that in a minute. But I talked to a couple Penn State fans on on Sunday morning, excuse me, and they really said, they said, 
you can like them, you can dislike them. But through the years, the one thing that we have never, we have never physically dominated a good team from a good league, not talking about an F FCS school or a MAC school or even a bad Big Ten school. We have not physically dominated anybody like that, really maybe in the entire James Franklin era, but certainly not against a team with the quality of athlete and a quality of defensive lineman like Auburn. So that is important. Remember, Penn State finished 118 in rush offense last year, and it wasn't like they didn't try. They just couldn't move anybody, and so that's why this game was so important. They did something that they have not been able to do at any point, and it's nothing but a positive sign. My second big takeaway, I'll just say this really quick. I don't get why everybody doesn't like James Frank. I, you know, James, there are certain guys on social media, and I know social media is not a be-all, end-all. Jim Harbaugh, Brian Kelly, James Frank, it doesn't matter what they do. It's just constant criticism, never good enough. Here's James Franklin's resume coming out of Saturday, okay? James Franklin, first of all, won nine games in back-to-back -back seasons at Vanderbilt, okay? I haven't looked it up. I don't think Vanderbilt's won nine games basically probably since he's left. Certainly they have. I know that. But the last three, four, five years, they are terrible. Finally starting to turn things around under the new head coach, Clark Lee. Leah, he won nine games in back-to-back -back years against uh, at Vanderbilt. Then he comes to Penn State. It was a struggle, no doubt. But by year three, he wins the Big Ten. And overall, he has four nine-win seasons, three 11-win seasons at Penn State. Now, I get that he's never made a playoff. I get that he hasn't won those big, huge games. But what do we say about Brian Kelly all the time? You think Notre Dame doesn't miss a coach that just always takes care of the teams that he's supposed to take care of? And James Franklin basically does that. Again, four nine-win seasons, three 11-win seasons at Penn State. I don't think people realize that won a Big Ten title, I know the last year or two, whatever. One was a COVID year. Last year, they were 5-0 and and in the top five when their starting quarterback, Sean Clifford, went down. So don't tell me they were terrible last year. I don't care what the win-loss record says. If you're in the top five and you're 5-0 and, and you lose your starting quarterback and he's never the same after, that is going to have an impact on you. This year, they go into Auburn and dominate Auburn. So I never understood the James Franklin stuff. Happy for him that he got that moment in time to really celebrate the win. We'll see what it means for the rest of the season. Finally, and I think this is the interesting part, I do have to ask this question. I do have to ask this because I do still think at the end of the day, I still think Penn State is probably the third best team in the Big Ten. That's not a criticism of Penn State. It's not they stink. But I look at everybody else in the Big Ten. Ohio State put up 77 points on Saturday. That offense is really clicking. The defense looks much better under Jim Knowles. Not a criticism, just a reality. Michigan. I know that they haven't played anybody yet, but you know my stance on beating the crap out of teams you're supposed to. Michigan has put up 50-plus points and with 40-plus point wins in their first three games against Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn. And I don't care who the competition is. When you put up 50 points, you win by 35 to 40 in every game in three straight games. Don't tell me it means nothing. Don't tell me it means nothing when App State beats Texas A&M, when Marshall beats uh, Notre Dame, when all these teams are losing or playing close competitive games against that, you know these 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 group of five or FCS teams, don't tell me it means nothing when Michigan's kicking the crap out of people. So now, if Penn State is your third team, is this the strongest that the top of the Big Ten has been in a while? And I'll take it a step further: is it stronger than the top of the SEC? And when I say that, 
We have a lot of SEC fans that listen to this show, and you're going to say, oh, my God, Torres, you don't know what you're talking about. Just hear me out, okay? Because here's my question. If Penn State is the third best team, and maybe they're not. Maybe they're the best team, and we don't know it yet. They're going to win the Big Ten. They're going to play Georgia for a national championship. But if they're the third best team, and they just physically kick the crap out of Auburn at Auburn, could the third best team in the SEC do that? I don't think so. Now, the first best team could. That's Georgia. We're going to talk about them next. They might be better than they were last year, which is scary. Alabama, not totally sold. They could physically kick the crap out of them. But let's give Alabama the benefit of the doubt because they have the greatest coach in the history of the sport that they could dominate Auburn the way that Penn State did, although they did play at Auburn last year in Kent. Who's the third best team in the SEC? And could they go to Jordan Hare and do what Penn State did on Saturday? I don't think they could. Think about the four. Like, who do we think is, is, is the number three team in the SEC right now? Probably say it's maybe Arkansas, maybe Ole Miss, maybe Kentucky, maybe maybe Tennessee. Well, Arkansas, outside of the fact they almost lost to Bobby Petrino on Saturday in Missouri State, Arkansas lost to this Auburn team last year at home. So don't tell me they can go on the road to Auburn and physically kick the crap out of them like Penn State did. Maybe they will by the end of the year. But right now, I can't say that for sure. Not after what I just saw against Missouri State. How about Ole Miss? Ole Miss lost to Auburn, too, last year. Ole Miss might be able to score points on them. Ole Miss lost at Auburn. As a matter of fact, that was Auburn's last win in the season. It came on Halloween weekend, which is why Brian Harson finds himself in this situation to begin with. Tennessee? Tennessee could probably put up points, but they physically dominate Auburn the way that Penn State did. I don't know. They just played kind of a tough Midwest team on the road two weeks ago in Pitt. They got the win. But it wasn't pretty. They didn't dominate the line of scrimmage against Pitt. And Pitt is a poor man's Penn State. I'm sorry to say it, but it's the truth. Pitt fans, if Pitt fans even exist, I don't know if they do. Kentucky? Kentucky's good. Kentucky's physical. I don't know if they can put up 41 points, though. Put up 31 against Youngstown State at home on Saturday. Put up, what, 35 against Miami of Ohio at home to open the season. And so I'm just sitting here saying, I'm looking at the top of the Big Ten right now, and I am saying if your best three is as good as I think Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State are, whew, it's going to be a fun, fun, fun year in the Big Ten. And I'll tell you this, I'm fascinated to see when all these good teams start to play each other. Uh, Ohio State actually plays Wisconsin this coming weekend, which should be interesting. You talk about physicality. We're going to learn something about Ohio State one way or the other. Michigan and Penn State play in the middle of the season. I think it's October 15th is the date. That's going to be a big day because Utah plays USC, as I just told you. Uh, and then, of course, Ohio State, Penn State will be later in the year. And Ohio State, Michigan is coming up as well. Really quickly, I'm going to look up the Ohio State, Penn State game. Let's do that really quick. Ohio State will play Penn State uh, October 29th. So you talk about a big three-week stretch for Penn State. How about this for a three-week stretch where we find out a lot about Penn State? They play Michigan on the 15th. Minnesota, which is a physically impressive team, and then they play Ohio State as well. But credit to Penn State, they're really good. And I'll tell you, I think you can make an argument. The top three this year in the Big Ten. Now, you get beyond the top three. We start talking about number four. I'll probably take Kentucky or Arkansas or Ole Miss or Tennessee, depending on who you think is number four, over anybody in the Big Ten. Probably take them over Michigan State. Probably take them over Minnesota, which has looked okay. Certainly take them over Iowa, Wisconsin, whoever. But the top three... It might be the Big Ten. As far as Auburn, I'll tell you what. you got to tune into Tuesday's Aaron Torres pod. I actually have a thought on Auburn. I'll tell you this. 
Brian Arson, I, I like to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I didn't like the way that the boosters and everybody treated him last year. I think this was probably a pretty good indication that he's not the guy. I said it on Friday's show. I said, if you can't win this game, it makes it hard to really kind of believe that you're going to win the games that you have to the rest of the year. I think LSU probably looks a little bit better than most of us thought they would. LSU looked really good on Saturday night. Um, And I think, you know, that was a game two weeks from now that I thought Auburn could get. I don't know if I feel that way anymore. Uh, You you play Mississippi State on the road. Don't think you can get that one. You're not going to – if you can't out-physical Penn State, you can't out-physical Arkansas, you play that one a few weeks from now. Texas A&M, who knows, and, of course, Alabama to close the season. Listen, I don't root for anybody to lose their job. But that was one, if you're Brian Harson, you had to have. And unless Penn State is way better than we thought they were, I think Brian Harson is definitely in some trouble. I just want to do take a quick break, come back, talk Georgia. Dominant, 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 dominant. Then we'll wrap the show with Herm Edwards and a few other news and notes. How about Oklahoma? How about Kansas? How about the Pac-12? We'll discuss all that next. But first, we'll get to the Georgia Bulldogs. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Let's continue the college football conversation. Uh, Last kind of full segment, and then we'll kind of wrap the show with some odds and ends. I do want to talk about Arizona State. I do want to talk about some of the other things that happen across college football on Saturday. But I do want to, right now, go to the number one team in the country who has absolutely been phenomenal so far. I'm, of course, talking about the Georgia Bulldogs. Two weeks ago, they played Oregon on Labor Day weekend. It was an absolute bloodbath in Atlanta. Final score, 49-3. to But that was on a neutral field. We didn't know how good Oregon was. They take care of Samford last week at home. And Georgia had a second intriguing matchup early in the season. It came against South Carolina in Columbia, a rivalry that the last couple of years hasn't been all that competitive, but South Carolina... Georgia, they recruit a lot of the same guys. Like, there's a lot of kind of overlap with those programs. A lot of people thought it could be close. Georgia was a 24-point favorite. There's no way they should be favored by that much at home. Instead, Georgia absolutely obliterated South Carolina like they absolutely obliterated Oregon a few weeks ago. And it's raised an interesting conversation in college football. Is this year's Georgia team, the 2022 team, actually better than the one that won the national championship last year. I'm not quite ready to go there. I do think it's a fascinating conversation, though. First of all, Saturday was just 
it was domination, and there was nothing that South Carolina really did wrong other than having inferior talent like everybody else outside of maybe one to two teams does. That's not a South Carolina thing. That's very much a Georgia thing. But my goodness, did they jump on them early and never let up. Georgia led 14-0 after the first quarter. They led 24-0 at halftime. They led 45-0 after three quarters. By then, the starters were long gone. And what I would tell you is if you watch the game, it was even more dominant. Georgia finishes with 547 yards of total offense. Stetson Bennett all of a sudden looking like a young Johnny Unitas or Johnny Manziel or call him Stetson football, baby, because this guy is slinging the rock all over the field. 339 yards passing, 11 yards per completion, three touchdowns. And the run game wasn't very much, uh, it wasn't a, a snoozer either. Finished their game, the, the Georgia run game finished with 208 yards, six yards per carry. And they just absolutely overwhelmed the South Carolina Gamecocks, who were never in this game, and it was never close. And so when you factor in what they did on Saturday, with what their season-long stats are, I mean, it is mind-boggling what Georgia has done so far this year, okay? So on the season, they've played three games now. Oregon, which, by the way, started the year in the top 15. They're still in the top 25, 49-3. Sanford, 33 to nothing last week. And, of course, this game against South Carolina, 48-7 final score. Not great at math, but that is a grand total of outscoring your opponents by – uh, 120 total points through three games, 132. Let me, let, me, let me backtrack. Let me backtrack. Let me take a deep breath because Georgia's getting me all hot and bothered here talking about it. Georgia has outscored their opponents by 120 points through three games. That's an average of 40 points per game through three games. They've outscored them 132 10 total. How about this? They've outscored their opponents 82 to nothing in the first half. 82 to nothing in the first half. I didn't even look up the 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 third, you know, through three quarter stats. Every point that Georgia has given up is after the fourth quarter, after the third quarter, excuse me, when the game has long been decided. And so what is especially impressive to me is a couple things. One, at least with the week one win over Oregon, I don't think Oregon's a bad team. Oregon just beat a top 15 team at home in BYU by 21 points. So Oregon might be good. I don't think South Carolina is that bad. Um, but what's most what's what I think is uh, pretty surprising to people is how this Georgia offense has looked, right? Because last year we think about last season, we think about that historically great defense. I don't think people realize the defense has been really good this year. They've given up some yards and some points late. The offense has been to me what stands out the most. Did you know that right now, Georgia? The team that we said was the last, you know, they were the last ones holding out. They didn't want to have a dynamic quarterback. They just wanted to run the ball and play defense. They have the number six total offense in all of college football right now. Number six in the country. They're averaging more yards per game than the USC Trojans who I just talked about. They're averaging more yards per game than Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin, maybe the best offensive mind in the sport. They're averaging more yards than UCLA, who's a really good offense. I know nobody watches UCLA even in their home stadium. They, they're a very good offense. Bama, Georgia is outpacing Bama by a mile. How about this? They're top five in the country in yards per play. They're averaging almost eight yards per play, the Georgia offense is. USC is kind of on par with them, but the difference is USC needs every single one of those yards because the defense is terrible. Georgia? 
That's a different ballgame altogether. Georgia's offense has been incredible early, and that to me is the biggest difference. Elite offense with what is an increasingly elite defense, which brings us to the question, is Georgia better than last year? I'll say this. I am not right now at this moment. I'm recording here late on the night of September 18th. You're listening on September 19th. I am not quite ready to go there yet, but I don't think it's inconceivable. What I will say, we'll get that answer eventually. What I will say, I do think there is a different aura around this Georgia team. And while I don't know if they're better or worse than last year, I do think they're playing with a confidence and a swagger that I have never seen from Georgia before. And if you know Georgia's history, it makes sense. And listen, we're going to have a lot of Georgia fans listen to this. This isn't to belittle or whatever, whatever happened. But if we've all, we've all watched Georgia through the years, we all know what they've been about. And they're kind of a program that you kind of were always just waiting for the bottom to fall out on them, right? Bad loss, weird loss, weird break, this, that, the other thing. Something bad is going to happen. And even into last year, even as Georgia has elevated its program under Kirby Smart, I think there was always that thing in the back of the head of, oh, we're going to destroy Vanderbilt, and we're going to destroy Auburn and Mississippi State and whoever else is on the schedule. But what happens when we get in that big game? Are we really that good? Are we paper tigers? Can we really beat the teams that we have to to win that ultimate prize? To win, as my buddy Chris Plank, who calls Oklahoma Sooners games, can we win the skinny trophy? That's what Chris Plank calls it. I love it. And that was the question with Georgia. And if you looked at Georgia, even last year, even in the midst of that dominant season, I think they played and they, I don't think they, they, they had that confidence of, oh, we can win every game on our schedule and it doesn't matter who you put in front of us. We're going to destroy them and embarrass them. Go back to last year. Remember, Stetson Bennett last year, they didn't call plays like this for him. They were afraid Stetson Bennett was going to do something crazy and lose a game for him. Now they're letting him throw the ball all over the field. We're calling him Stetson Football, baby. He's like Johnny Football. Brock Bowers, did you see that? They, they ran a reverse for their 230-pound tight end. They are calling plays and acting like a team that is afraid of no one. And so I don't know if they're better. But to me, there is a level of confidence, a level of swag of put anyone you want in front of us. We don't care. We're going to destroy whoever you put in front of us because practice Monday through Friday is tougher than the games itself. I'll tell you a quick side story. We'll kind of wrap this segment. Years ago when I worked at FoxSports.com, I did a story on the early 2000s Miami Hurricanes teams. Okay, I interviewed everybody on that roster except for a player or two. I interviewed Ed Reed, Andre Johnson. Um, trying to remember Vernon Carey, who was a multiple-time Pro Bowler. Uh, Frank Gore, I interviewed Clinton Portis, Phil Buchanan. I mean, first rounder on first rounder on first rounder, intro roll. And the one thing those guys all told me was this. We had so much confidence going into Saturdays because practice Monday through Friday was a lot tougher. We knew no matter what you threw at us, we had already seen something better in practice every day. Doesn't Georgia kind of walk into the building like that right now? They walk into the building like all of the great programs in my lifetime. I'm in my 30s. They, I, I've seen really four great programs over an extended period of time. The early 2000s Miami Hurricanes, the mid-2000s USC Trojans, Alabama of the Nick Saban era, and now I think Georgia's about to be on that level if they're not already, where they just walk into the building, and they don't even – it's not even a question of if they're going to win. Their only goal 
is to absolutely destroy you and embarrass you. And that, to me, is the highest level of football that you can achieve. So are they better than last year? I don't know. I'm not saying they aren't. I just don't know. But you look at the schedule. They don't play Alabama in the regular season. They don't play Ole Miss. They don't play, you know, LSU isn't even very good this year. They don't play A&M, who isn't very good. Tell me who's going to get in the way of this freight train right now. I like Tennessee a lot, but they get Tennessee at home. Maybe Kentucky on the road. Maybe Mississippi State on the road challenge them. But this Georgia team is great. I am not ready to say they are better. But boy, oh boy, oh boy, are they really freaking good. All right, this is what I'm going to do. Take a quick break. I'm going to come back, and we're going to wrap. Talk a little bit of that crazy Arizona State story. Hit some other odds and ends across college football. Quick break. Wrap the show. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to wrap. I'll tell you, there were a couple little things, you know, across college football, maybe a little bit of Kansas here, a little bit of Oklahoma there that I did want to get to to wrap the show. But then, as I was recording, mid-show, we had ourselves a coaching carousel update, a firing, if you will. It came in the beautiful, and it is indeed a beautiful city of Tempe, Arizona, where after four and a half years, Herm Edwards was given the door. That is right, Herm Edwards, America's coach. You play to win the game. Well, Herm Edwards did not win enough games. He is out at Arizona State. First of all, what I would just say in general about this, the most surprising thing about the Herm Edwards hiring, firing, whatever. First of all, I don't think anybody liked this hire when it happened. It was weird. It was strange. He had this weird thing about, uh, you know, uh, I'm not even going to be a coach. I'm going to be a delegator. It was bizarre from the beginning. It is worth knowing, by the way, I don't think a lot of people know this. You know who was Arizona State's offensive coordinator when the last coach was fired who really wanted the job? Billy Napier, the head coach of Florida right now. Like, like he was begging for that job, and they were like, no, nah, we're going to go bring in Herm Edwards. But Herm Edwards is fired. Um, and what I would say is I think the most shocking part of the entire deal is that it didn't happen sooner, right? Um, you know, I think for people who, who have not followed this story or whatever – Arizona State is in the middle of a very bizarre NCAA investigation that, frankly, probably should have cost Herm Edwards his job about 18 months ago. Remember, during COVID, in 2020, Arizona State was one of only two schools to this point that got caught bringing players on campus for recruiting visits. And beyond that, here's the crazy part. Not only were they bringing kids on campus for recruiting visits, they took pictures there were receipts, like, like there was a litany of things that we found out about all of those visits after the fact, all documented by Arizona State. It was the sloppiest, clumsiest NCAA violation that I've ever seen. I've said for a long time, listen, I, I so here's the thing, right? We live in a different world because of NIL. But I've said for a long time, 
I'm not pro-breaking the old rules. Like, when you couldn't pay players. I was never pro-paying players because I just think it's a violation of rules. You shouldn't do it. But I understand where somebody would sit there and say, I think my competition is doing that. I think I have to do this to keep up. Arizona State literally broke a rule that everybody else was abiding by. Remember, if you go back to that time, the NCAA had a dead period. The NCAA had a dark period. No one could bring kids on campus. And that's why I said Arizona State breaking those rules was one of the dumbest things that I have ever seen covering college sports because they were breaking a rule where nobody had an advantage. It'd be one thing if, say, they're in the Pac-12 and Utah and Colorado and the Washington schools and the Oregon schools can bring kids on campus, but Arizona State cannot. No one could bring kids on campus, so you're breaking a rule to get an advantage that nobody else has. And if you get caught, what I guess what I would say is the positive and negative, the upside versus downside of actually, it just wasn't worth it. So what was crazy about this whole story is that if you remember, this story really broke in the summer of 2021. So before last season, and at the time, Arizona State got rid of two, three, four assistant coaches. Then after this past season, Arizona State got rid of really Herm Edwards' right-hand man, Antonio Pierce, longtime NFL player. He was Arizona State's defensive coordinator, recruiting coordinator. And so the question isn't, how did Herm Edwards get fired on Sunday? It was, why did it not happen sooner And that was really the bottom line with this firing. Well, we all know why it didn't happen sooner. If you remember, I told you this story when we kind of did the preseason coaching carousel. It's because his former agent is the AD at Arizona State. So if you just want to know a 30,000-foot view, how crazy things are at Arizona State, Herm Edwards got the job. And Herm Edwards got the job because his former AD or his former agent, Ray Anderson, is the AD at the school. And so it speaks to how crazy things were, and it speaks to the fact that this was coming. Now, again, it probably should happen before the 2021 season. I think it certainly should have happened after the 2021 season, where a couple things happened. The team was fine, nothing special. You have an ongoing NCAA investigation. And then on top of that, NIL hit, and you have this weird conglomerate of NCA investigation here with NIL there, and you just saw a lot of players leave the program. Jaden Daniels, who looks really good as the Arizona or as the LSU quarterback right now, where'd he come from? Arizona State. Ricky Pearsall, wide receiver at Florida, came from Arizona State. Eric Gentry, linebacker at USC, came from Arizona State. There's a defensive lineman at Louisville, came from Arizona State. So 2021. Not a season you want. You got rid of all your assistant coaches. You lost a ton of players to the transfer portal. And he decided to bring back Herm Edwards. But finally, it was Saturday night when he said enough is enough. That was when they lost to Michigan, or Eastern Michigan. Now, I was going to say Michigan State. That's not a bad loss. They lost to Eastern Michigan 30-21 to in a game where they just looked terrible from start to finish. Eastern Michigan was actually up 24-14 to at halftime. Eastern Michigan outgained uh, Arizona State. And Herm Edwards was finally let go. And I thought it was very interesting in the press release, Herm Edwards, I take that back. In the press release, Herm Edwards said, all, you know, the AD said, oh, you know, he didn't meet the level that we were all hoping for, which, I, you know, that, that's factually correct. But I found it interesting in a report from one of the Arizona State sites, essentially, they cited something I've talked about for a long time. The demands of being a Division I head coach were too much for Herm Edwards. And this is just, by the way, a, 
a, a, a big picture key to always keep in mind with you. There's a lot of guys that come from the pros that think, I have this NFL background, this, this NBA background. I know X's and O's. If you're not willing to recruit, if you're not willing to recruit your butt off, it is not going to work. The coaches who have come from college, come from the NFL or NBA to college, the ones that succeed, they all have one thing in common. They love to recruit. Pete Carroll loved to recruit. Eric Musselman, the Arkansas basketball coach, loves to recruit. Juwan Howard, the Michigan basketball coach, loves to recruit. Chris Mullen did not love to recruit at St. John's. I don't get the sense that Patrick Ewing loves to recruit at Georgetown. Herm Edwards clearly did not love to recruit at Arizona State, and that was what ultimately cost him the job. Now, before we get out of here, uh, I do kind of want to look ahead because what I would say is I live, and I think most people know this, but I live in the, I guess you call it the Pac-12 footprint. I live in LA, which is now Big Ten country. But because I live on the West Coast, I think I have a little bit more insight into the Arizona State program. And let me tell you this. Over the next 24 to 48 hours, you're going to hear a lot of people who cover college sports, cover college football, say, Arizona State is a sleeping giant. Arizona State, they just need the right coach. I am here to tell you, at Arizona State, it is much more complicated than that. Now, what I will say, Tempe is a beautiful city, right next to Scottsdale, right next to Phoenix. It's beautiful. One of my best friends went to grad school at ASU. I'm not going to lie. Literally lived on his couch for about six weeks. Probably the best six weeks of my life. A lot of stories that I can't share. I'm a married man now. I'm old. Nobody cares anyway. But there's a lot of stories I can't share from my time at ASU. But what I would tell you is from the athletic department, it is not as good as it should be. Now, I've been saying dating back to that time that Arizona State should dominate in every sport. Beautiful campus, 60,000 undergrads. Um, you know, for a male athlete, there's a lot of, uh, you know, visually, uh, uh, you know, pleasant things to look at. There's a lot of beautiful women. That, that's what I'm basically going to say. Beautiful women, beautiful campus, beautiful city, nice weather. It should be great. There is a reason, though, that not only is Arizona State not great at football, not great at basketball. I don't know if they're good at anything right now. And it really boils down to the school, the administration, and why I don't believe that Arizona State is going to knock this higher out of the park get the coach that they want, and everything's going to be resolved. First of all, I do think it's important to note, the school is currently in the middle of an NCAA investigation. Now, we all know the NCAA is kind of in this weird middle ground of what's the future of the NCAA, and we've seen reports that they don't want to give out postseason bans anymore or scholarship reductions. They don't want to punish kids that are currently on campus. But some kind of punishment is coming to the school, and I don't think it's that good of a job where you're willing to kind of just say, you know what, whatever the punishment is, I'll take the job anyway. If this was LSU, if this was Ohio State, if this was Penn State, you'd probably feel a little bit different. I don't know about Arizona State. I don't know you're going to put your career on the line to go to Arizona State. But beyond that, what I would also say is a couple other things. One, the administration is clearly a mess, okay? The school president really doesn't care all that much about sports, which is fine. Like, it's not his or her prerogative to always have to love school sports. Um, but it kind of shows you how dysfunctional this place is. That one, Herm Edwards' agent is the AD, that Herm Edwards was allowed to be hired, and that Herm Edwards was allowed to be retained during an NCAA investigation. And so the school administration is a mess. I wonder if the AD is even going to be there beyond this season. And then on top of that, there's other logistical issues as well. Listen, again, I, I live in Pac-12 country. I know coaches in the major sports there. I know people in the administration there. I can tell you they're behind on a lot of things. They're behind on NIL. 
I can't explicitly say that's why they lost the players that they lost, the Jaden Daniels is to LSU, LSU, Ricky Pierce, all the Florida. I can't say that, and it's not my place to say. What I can tell you is I've been told by multiple coaches there they are behind on NIL. By the way, uh, it's worth noting that after spring practice when they lost a bunch of guys to the portal, they started their first collective about six months ago to kind of combat NIL. The fan base isn't there. The fervor isn't there. The excitement isn't there. Listen, sometimes I think these conversations about, oh, that's not an SEC. Like, we know the SEC loves its schools more than more its teams more than anybody else. We know the Big Ten has some great fan bases again. Ohio State, Wisconsin, Iowa, Penn State, whoever, Michigan, Michigan State. The Pac-12, it is not that, um, at least not at Arizona State. And so when I look at this job, I'm just going to be realistic. You're going to hear big names. You're going to hear, oh, it's a sleeping giant. It'll be. I don't buy that at all. I think they're going to look for one of two things and probably more specifically one of one things. My guess would be it'd be a young, dynamic, um, up-and-coming guy that's looking for a big shot at a big-time school. I don't get the sense that they're going to get a great candidate. I don't get a sense that they're going to get, say, a Deion Sanders. If you people were to say Deion Sanders, which we're going to talk about maybe on Monday's Aaron Torres pod, Tuesday's Aaron Torres pod, I don't think Deion Sanders is coming to Arizona State. As a matter of fact, I would say almost with certainty he's not coming. Um, I don't think anybody that has a good job is leaving for this job at this specific moment. And so I think it's either a retread guy or a young up-and-comer. And I think they even kind of shy away from the retread guy because of the Herm Edwards experience. So that is the Arizona State deal. Fascinating deal. The Herm Edwards situation came to an end. It seemed like he was just ready to move on. Again, be warned. You hire these guys with no college experience. It's a grind. Arizona State now looking for a coach. Listen, I'll be honest. I think that's really about it for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I'm not going to really go through too much more. We're over an hour at this point. you got enough of Torres for one day. We will be back on on Tuesday. The only other things we missed, first of all, shout out to Kansas. 3-0. and How about them Jayhawks? And then on top of that, uh, Oklahoma, my Sooners, destroying Nebraska. But you know what? That's enough for today's show. I think it is time for me to get out of here. Before we do, I want to make sure everybody subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. Also, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube page. New episodes going up every morning, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, we will, uh, you know, new episodes every, mon- every Monday through Friday. Um, what else? Thank you to our partners, Betfred Sports, uh, the Betfred Sportsbook. Bet 50 on either of the Monday night games tonight. Get 250 in free bets courtesy of Betfred. And, of course, BracketFanatics.com. Join the Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pickle. That is all for today's show. I'm going to get out of here. Uh, I'll be back on Tuesday. I think I have some pretty interesting stuff to talk about and potentially a huge guest. We have one really big guest coming this week. It's been a while since we've had a guest. I'll explain who that is when it's time. But for now, it is time for me to get out of here. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, UF head. I'll be back on Tuesday. New episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.